Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Quarantine Break Podcast. I am so delighted to welcome onto the show Ian Morris and Damon Beasley. Besides being the co-creators behind the generation-defining comedy, The Inbetweeners, they've had their hands on some of the best TV hits of recent years. And in just little over a week's time, their new comedy, The First Team, will be arriving as our next absolute obsession on BBC Two. This is a great conversation. It goes to some very weird and wonderful places, as you'd expect from this pair. From crying it up to clearing up sick, as well as the usual lockdown chat, I can't wait for you to listen to this one. Here it comes, and I'll see you again at the end. Ian, Damon, thank you so much for joining me today. A pleasure. My pleasure, certainly. You know, Damon. No, you can speak for me. It is my pleasure too, Simon. Our <laughs> pleasure. Our, pl- our pleasure. So this is the first worldwide edition of this show. Ian, you're calling from Los Angeles. Damon, you're calling from Kent. I'm calling from just outside Peckham. LA, Kent, Peckham. If we were marketing this episode, it should be on the side of a yellow three-wheeler van. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, pretty- yeah, it's good. Can I just say one thing? Let's, can we start with a little quiz? For the listeners, <laughs> guess which one of the three people here, remembering where we live, Los Angeles, Peckham, Sleepy Seven Oaks in Kent, guess which one was uh, involved in a front page of The Guardian armed response unit incident yesterday? I think I've slightly given it away. You're joking, aren't you? No, I was, oh I was walking down, take, took the, the fam and the dog out for a walk down a lane, uh, and... We're walking, and it's it's a lane that led to a farm, and so we're on a long walk. And this police BMW came by. It's quite snazzy. I thought, oh, it's a bit, mm. like, it's a bit like my BMW. That one. <laughs> anyway, so he came by, and I thought he was going to stop us because I thought I was going to be a busybody and say, "Where are you going?" Yeah, he should. Have. And he just slows down. Should have done really. Drove by. Then an identical one came by, and I thought, well, this is weird because this is you only walk down here. Then there was a police helicopter overhead, and then an armed response unit, like a plain clothes BMW, wow. and then two Porsche. What's the four by four Porsche called? The Macan or the Cayenne? Yeah, one of those. <laughs> with armed officers in as well. And what had happened? Because we were all sort of talking about it and imagining what it could be. We, I thought it'd be like some somebody like crime or drug mm. bust or something on a farm nearby. Just don't trust farmers for some reason. But 
<laughs> but what it, what it turned out was they were there because there'd been a sighting of a big cat, a striped big cat. <laughs> oh, my God. I know, I know. It's very Tiger King. And what it turned out to be, they discovered after, I mean, Christ knows how much energy and effort was spent in sort of police resources. But what it turned out to be was there's a local artist, he's 85 years old, who lives by that lane, and she'd built a sculpture of a tiger laying down. I mean, it doesn't move. It's very hard to be fooled by this thing into thinking it's a roaming tiger. And it was sitting in her back garden and somebody out on a walk had absolutely shit their pants called the police and they, all, they came rolling in. So it was very exciting. For I mean, seeing as there's nothing else going on in the news other than the other thing, I was really, I was, I was genuinely thrilled to be at the, at the center i've got myself of that story i was actually there about an hour after it happened but i mean there you go. that is the most exciting thing that's happened to anyone in seven weeks which isn't hard really the most exciting thing i've done is watch live bingo <laughs> oh, that's quite good mm. i just well actually i had last week there was a police helicopter circling directly over our house wow about 45 minutes and it was like really low circling and they were shouting out the thing, uh, put the gun down, put your arms in the air, put your gun down, put your arms in the air. And I was wow. like, everyone come in, everyone come inside. Let's lock the doors, everyone come inside. And uh, and then it went away and, you know, found out from neighbours what was going on. They were like, oh, no, it wasn't It wasn't an armed robbery, which is what we thought it was. It was uh, just a guy shooting in his back garden and they just, he was, he was doing some target practice. And they just, oh, that's like, nothing to worry about. I was like, I was like so what was he doing? Well, the guy behind me, he's got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I need some kind of armed police anecdote yeah, now. Peckham. I think the most I've seen is someone moved on for sunbathing in a park. It's it's not really the same. The old days, though, Peckham, Peckham 20 years ago. Yeah. It's changed too much. Oh, yeah. I mean, the markets now are just artisan cheeses and homemade dream captures. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very different world. Very nice. I mean, I normally start these conversations in the same way, like, like a distant uncle who only ever calls at Christmas. Right. But first of all, Ian, are you and your family keeping well and healthy? Yeah, fine. We couldn't be. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I feel incredibly privileged. Uh, because we're just very yeah we're fine we're good my dad was in england was really ill about seven weeks ago oh, wow. and he had a kind of 104 temperature something ridiculous for about five days but he's got through that now my, it's my you know my, my family over here we're great we've got like a my mother-in-law's trapped with us and so that's free child care we've got a, you know a house that's big enough for everyone to get a room and stay out of each other's way and uh, i've got a load of work to do so it's fine yeah i couldn't be couldn't be better i'm a bit worried my family in england i've got an elderly aunt and uncle who i'm very close with mm. who are sort of they're in they're in central london the barbican and you know they were like very good about getting settled in but then this week i phoned them yesterday and they were like yeah there's a lot of people in the city <laughs> seems like there's quite a lot of people now yeah actually going back to work in the city so yeah you kind of see worries but yeah no i'm fine I, honestly i'm just i couldn't be Without being too Los Angeles about the whole thing, one thing that happens a lot in LA is the whole city kind of revolves on meetings. Mm. It's constantly having meetings. So you've got to meet people about things. Mostly it's jobs that would never happen, but often they think called, called uh, general meetings. We just go and meet somebody. And I don't know what's supposed to happen. I suppose you're supposed to entertain them with your personality for an hour and they decide to give you a million pounds. <laughs> but that's never, it's never happened to me. But basically what that means is you get these meetings set up. And because the traffic's so bad in LA, every meeting is like an hour to drive there an hour at the meeting and at least an hour to drive back sometimes mm. three hours so it means if you're trying to write half your day is almost gone yeah so yeah. actually this has been great for me because there's no more general meetings there's no more meetings <laughs> anything's happening for i do because i'm just in my house with no excuse but to sort of get on with work really 
That's brilliant. And Damon, uh, how about you? Things good with you? Yeah, they're good. I think we've got, we're on a like one massive argument, family argument a week rotor. Yeah. Well, that's all right. One a week's good. One a week's good. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's an improvement. So, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're all actually, you know, it's been good. It's been interesting because we haven't really been around each other this much apart from family holidays. So, uh, turns out, they're quite good fun, my kids and, and my wife. So we've had gen- genuinely had quite a nice time. It's been, they shouldn't say been enjoying it. But, um, you know, I think one thing is I'm very compliant. So I like mm. following rules. So being told to do something. Yeah. And that thing is essentially stay at home and just be safe. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, as a joy. It's like the dream instruction for me. Because normally the instructions are, can you get this in by this day? Can we do this? We've got, to, you know, can you write this up? Can you do that? I mean, people still say that, but obviously I'm using the pandemic as a massive <laughs> excuse to say uh, I'm really struggling with, you know, working and that aspect of it. Yeah, you owe me that thing, actually. Uh, I'm starting to regret, though, because I feel like lockdown could be coming. Yeah, but lockdown could be coming to an end. I'm starting to regret that I haven't learned anything new. Well, like yeah. I haven't learned Spanish or I haven't learned a new song on the guitar. I haven't learned any of my old songs on the guitar. So it's just one of those things where you're just, uh, it's sort of reinf- it's been, you know, not as terrible as I imagined it would have been. And it's just reinforced all my worst fears about myself is that I'm essentially quite lazy and left behind <laughs> versus I would just uh, migrate from one sofa to another to play PlayStation or watch some brilliant TV, which fortunately there is plenty of. We're all learning things about ourselves. I'm learning that without access to a professional hairdresser, things go downhill fast. Yeah. My wife had it. My wife made her mother cut her hair yesterday. Mm. It was quite good because it gave us that sort of thing of <clears throat> being like a 1970s man where she came out and said, what did you think? I was like, I genuinely can't tell the difference. I don't know what's <laughs> happened here. I, don't, I would never have spotted a difference. So the idea of this podcast is taking a tea break from the world and the news in, I guess, doubly so for you, as American news does tend to be like somebody shouting on a street corner, waving a loud bell. Yeah, it's worse than that. It's like a sort of, <laughs> it's like a sort of incredible anxiety, constant anxiety dream. It's the American news. It's like this can't be happening, can it? Again, it's like the, the sort of guns behind my house. It's like, what? what, what, what where am I? Where do I live? What's happened? Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's 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 got so bad that. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's bad. It's, you don't have to. I've read too much about it as well. About even before we started about Trump and stuff. Now, you know Biden and what they're trying to do with Biden and the whole sort of where they're trying to destroy and split the Democratic Party before November is pretty depressing. Yeah. yeah. So any, any anything to take a break from that would be great. So as it's a tea break, guys, how do you take your tea, Damon? How do, how do you take yours? I uh, white. No sugar. We're talking PG tips, like builders, basically. Relatively strong. Um, yeah, I guess in the least sophisticated way you can imagine. That's my tea order. In a mug as well. And it's early evening, for at least for the two of us, so we could potentially switch to something stronger. Although in lockdown, early evening is getting earlier and earlier. Basically, from the moment the sun rises, it's technically setting, I guess. I know people who do treat the... like. I mean, just from lockdown, but they've genuinely said, well... I sort of have my first drink, you know, early evening. So there's this new sort of early evening drink, which is for a lot of people I've discovered, 4.30 early evening. <laughs> I was like, well, that is still during work hours. So 
it's a strange uh, sort of strange side effect that everybody likes to remain not really drunk but just lu- well lubricated <laughs> i think for the evenings and ian it's morning for you so the right time for tea how do you take yours well it's been it's evolved over the years if you're interested but i basically i used to be classic same as damon no sugar white builders darker on the darker side and then spending a bit of time in america my tea started getting lighter and lighter and lighter to the point where i remember making a cup of tea for someone in england and they sort of looked, looked at me like what why would you possibly give me a cup of tea that <laughs> color but interestingly i've also stopped trying to sort of cut down the amount of dairy i have so at the moment mm. i take my tea black wow it's basically a disgrace. It's like that is that is the one thing I think America has affected me with. I was like, my tea drinking is now, frankly, an absolute horror show. Also, you don't drink it hot, do you? You let it cool, no, get like no. black, then let it cool down. I mean, it's pointless. Yeah, the whole exercise is meaningless, really. Don't like it hot. I don't like. I don't like it hot. I like cold, <laughs> cold white tea used to be my favourite. Now it's cold black tea. I was going to sound like that relative who goes on holiday to Mallorca and then only eats at the British pub about whether good tea is accessible in LA. But for you, is 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 there any point? It's not accessible, and there is a point. Yeah, I've got <laughs> we've got some Tetley on the go downstairs, but it's yeah, people. It's one well, of become those weird things where you when people come to visit, you basically go, can you bring Marmite, baked beans, tinned uh, tinned custard, um. Fiji tips or Tetley and um, plain chocolate digestives are the other one that's really that's the that is the one that, that last they lost about a day my mum bought some recently and that was I think it was a day before I eat them what's lockdown been like in LA can you still get a green smoothie if you need it I should say that most of my knowledge of LA is largely based on the movie Clueless yeah that's not far off I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't Straight too far from that. It's pretty close. I mean, it's not. It's not developed. No, it's uh, yeah. You can get anything you want. It's good. It's delivery. So anyone mm. can. Everyone. The, the sort of delivery drivers apparently are immune to uh, coronavirus. So that's good news. Um, <laughs> or no one's tested them. One of two options. Uh, yeah. No, you can do what you want. I mean, it's, it seems pretty. It's interesting, I suppose, because the whole town is kind of reliant on entertainment and people making films and TV and stuff. Mm. And people aren't doing that at the moment. So I think there's going to be a, there's a bit of a lag at the moment. Like, I'm quite busy doing bits and bobs of writing. There's going to be a lag, I think, when people realise that actually they haven't made anything for a while, so there's no money coming through. So I think it's going to be a sort of delayed a delayed issue. But, yeah, it's kind of... I mean, it's, again, the other thing about LA is that it's it doesn't really work like most cities in the world because you're not really on top of each other. It's so spread out. And normally that's a bad thing. You know, there's no public transport and stuff. But now, actually, during coronavirus, it's turned out to be quite a bonus because people aren't that close to each other anyway. Well, yeah, you have to drive everywhere, I think. Is that right? Yeah, drive everywhere, yeah. So we're connecting over video today. It seems everyone is either doing pub quizzes, watching comedy nights, or we're trying to pretend we're on nights out with people we definitely wouldn't have gone out with pre-lockdown anyway. (laughs) Um, Are you guys doing that? Are you, you doing things on video? Yeah, yeah. Family Trivial Pursuit game last night. Um, Amazing. It was good. Yeah, it was uh, like all Trivial Pursuit games. The absence of uh, you know being in the same room didn't mean we couldn't have horrendous rows about the <laughs> rules, about helping one another, about who's been cheating. Very enjoyable. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and my friend runs a brilliant pub quiz called Sounds Familiar, which is a music quiz, and it, oh, yeah. it, it was a regular night in London and Liverpool and. Um, right and i think different centers across the uk different cities but um and it was all you know i wasn't quite sure how it would work 
not being in the room, but it's it's actually working fantastically well, and so much so I think he's, the demand for it. I mean, he never has any tickets, but that's great. I've done that a couple of times, and it, you know, it is a bit of an excuse to sort of dance around your kitchen and drink a <laughs> glass of wine or a few beers, and you know, and the family can get involved. So that's been that, those things have been good. I mean, generally it's that or TV, isn't it? I guess there's yeah, really yeah. not much else you know to do in the evenings. Now I'm not allowed out. <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing all those things. I've been I've been working during the day on these big sort of writer's room Zoom things. I've been doing, I've been playing a game of diplomacy with six other people. Oh, wow. A board game on a sort of every, bi-weekly basis. Uh, I've had drinks with friends. Actually, one of the drinks with friends was quite good because other people found out about it and kind of dropped in and yeah, sort of yeah. disappeared. So that was quite good fun. Um, and then I've also, I used to do a lot of kickboxing in London. And the dojo I used to go to, which I miss terribly in LA. I've always like it's been awful trying to find a sort of re- you know replacement. Um, they started doing online uh, lessons, and so I've been doing about three of those a week. So it's been totally. But so actually, I'm like, oh, this is this is better. This thing in my life is better than it was before. <laughs> so I'm getting to you know see and do the kickboxing I used to love in London that I couldn't get to. Oh, I definitely think the online drinking with friends is. Mm genuine it's improved over the internet because at the end of it i mean you haven't had to travel anywhere to get there you could just literally go from your front room and then at the end of it you're like well i've had enough i mean one we had a group yeah. chat a group zoom and i was like i think i'm gonna go to bed now i mean yeah. this has been pleasant i've had enough but it's like 10 p.m so i'm bye and i was straight into a bed i haven't got to go out and get on the, the <laughs> night train back to seven oaks it's a joy there is the new social etiquette about how you end those calls now isn't there yeah yeah, yeah, we had it because it was a weird one. Was we one of the big ones we did was really good fun. I was I did the same things there. I was like, well, probably that's probably it, isn't it? That's probably me now. <laughs> Half ten. My friend was like, well, no, we can go a bit later. I was like, no, I'm gonna go, gonna go to bed. So I was like, and then the next time I was like, that was fun, wasn't it? And he was like, yeah, it was. Could have gone a bit longer though, wouldn't it? I was like, <laughs> I was like mm, yeah. Comfort TV has featured heavily in most people's lockdown experiences. Channel 4 has quite rightly been sh- re-showing a lot of the in-betweeners. I think both yeah. films have been shown as well. And it's still such uh, a joyous show. I have to ask, what? why do you guys think people are turning to a show that features someone puking on a child, someone getting wanked off on the side of a dance floor to bring them such waves of comfort in this time? Well, I think to uh, coin, coin one of the lines in the show, funny. <laughs> <laughs> people want people need to laugh don't they at times like this and i think that you do tend to go you do tend to gravitate towards things especially like comedies that you know deliver laughs so I've, I've enjoyed going back over back catalogs of comedy shows with my 13 year old son because he's just sort of you know he's having a comedy awakening and and going through shows with, with him and it is you know i think you know, there's something very kind of human about sharing laughter and so i, I suspect that's got a huge element to play in it is People just need to be, you know, to feel good about themselves and have a laugh for a half yeah, hour. Yeah, you don't want to, I don't think you want anything too risky, do you? And, uh, mm. you know, investing time in a new comedy <laughs> that might not make you laugh, you'd be like, oh, I could do that. Or I could just watch something that yeah. I know will make, I know I've watched a hundred times and will make me laugh. So I guess the BBC are doing lots of repeats as well, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, yeah, again, I always, I watch. 40 Towers and Monty Python stuff at least once a year. Try, you know, I've rewatched the new Partridge series about three times. You know, I should could, clearly should be watching lots of other great comedies that are out there, but you, there's a point comes where you think, actually, I'd rather just, I've got a couple of hours, I'd rather just definitely. I watched, um, 
I rewatched all the Naked Gun films. I just started oh, rewatching uh, Austin Powers as well. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's like, you know, it's not getting much better than that. That's really. a good idea. I should do the films now. Oh, it's so good, I'm telling you. The Naked Gun is, I mean, Austin Powers, they're both just like, it's not fair really how good they are. I'm going to do Wayne's World ones next. Oh, I brilliant. Think we did that, yeah, I think we did, that's the one we did watch. Yeah, that's a good idea, get into the films. The Naked Gun is, the Naked Gun is so good. I love, um, my wife often comes in and says, are you watching that fishing show again? And I'm always, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I'm always watching uh, a rerun, basically the same episodes, is Mortimer and White House go fishing, which is, have you seen that show, Simon? Yeah, it's, it's a, wonderful, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, it's uh, it's brilliant, every every episode, I mean, it's like a warm bath, it's uh, like, they're brilliantly funny, and I had the pleasure of working with Bob on a show called Drifters that we made, um, Jessica Nappett's show, and I didn't really, I wasn't really around a lot because I was exactly producing it. And I didn't really get to know him very well. or to. So whenever I watch it, I have this huge sort of like pang of regret. <laughs> I think, oh God, I wish I'd hung around Bob and become Bob's friend because Bob's sort of brilliant, isn't he? He's so lovely and funny. And yeah, yeah. I just, and also I'm getting to that age now where obviously I'm, heading towards the end of my life rather than the beginning of my life so they're kind of wistful <laughs> things well i am i'm you know i'm not that much younger than boris johnson which is a wake-up call and uh, <laughs> when something like what's happening at the moment happens and you start banding your life into sort of you know the 10-year gaps that you fit into i'm suddenly like oh right yeah there's quite a lot below me now <laughs> with much higher percentages <laughs> of you know survival rates and you got so you do and anyway i find that a very comforting show like, i like the trip as well i think that's a again yeah. just a, like a sort of brilliant watch and mainly because they are just two incredibly funny human beings who i get a lot of enjoyment out of watching so that's that's kind of that's my that's my comfort food do you ever think about how the in-betweener characters would have dealt with lockdown how they would have dealt with this time yeah they'd be out wouldn't they jay would be out <laughs> <laughs> Making them go out somewhere, getting arrested. <laughs> After seeing the Parks and Rec special, I was thinking about how an in-betweeners lockdown episode could go. I suppose the closest we had was when Will's mum goes away and they've got that free house. Will's home alone, yeah. Yeah, I think it would go pretty similar to that, to be honest. I mean, you know, versions of that. I remember being, when I was 18, my parents went, my mum my, my remarried. So my mum and my stepdad were married and, um, and, on my 18th birthday, it was just before, they went away on their honeymoon and left me in the house. So it's a kind of, it wasn't the same as lockdown, but it was sort of like being, you know, having the house to yourself for a period that they trusted you to to look after everyone. Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you what happened was, I, my, it was my stepdad's mother came to uh, look after us. So I've got a stepbrother and sister who are much younger and they were still at school and I'd finished school and she got ill. So she was meant to be looking after us and she got ill. So the kids had to be farmed out because I couldn't look after them. They weren't going to come back from the honeymoon. They weren't going to come back and make them sound terrible. <laughs> no, they didn't need to. <laughs> the kids got farmed out. So they went off to different relatives. And uh, and so I was just left as an 18-year-old in the house on my own. For the week. And it pretty much went like that episode of The Inbetweeners. It was just, I mean, it's just extraordinary what that power was like at that age. I was so, yeah. I remember waking up one morning. It was a bit like more like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but there were people sleeping on my front lawn because it'd been quite a warm night and, and there were like three or four people that like dead bodies and it was morning <laughs> laid out across there it was just chaos and when my parents got back they were like has it been for me all right i was like yeah yeah yeah, it's all fine Don't, you know nothing's easy so they're like okay and then i went out and thinking great you know i've done a good tidy of the house there was no evidence anything had happened in any parties or anything 
and I and I came back in and my mum was just furious and she was like, What's this? And she moved the chair and behind the chair a bit of wallpaper had just been ripped off the wall. Like there was just a, like this. So when I was clearing up, I had not spotted that there was wallpaper missing off the wall. And, and one of the bathrooms was full of sick, like on the floor and behind the toilet. And again, somehow I'd missed that. My olfactory senses hadn't picked up on the back. Like I just thought I'd given everything a forensic cleanup. So I was in trouble. You guys are both about to jump into press for your new show. I'm sure you're going to get that same in-betweeners reunion question over and over and over again every interview you do. Each time you answer it, you could add a different lie, start off small, build up to Simon Bird holding it up because he wants it underwater, and then finally reach a stage where you are telling journalists that James Buckley will only do the reunion if he can play all four parts like Eddie Murphy and The Nutty Professor. <laughs> Uh, but to flip that old question slightly, you finished the story so well with the second film. All the actors are now in their mid to late 70s. Joe Thomas technically can't leave the house because he's at risk. <laughs> but why would you ever want to bring it back? Job done, right? Oh, yeah. We'd, I, I guess. I mean, we'd, I, the sta there's two standard answers, aren't there? There's the sort of comedy standard answer, which is, uh, you know, we're going to pay the bills. That's the classic <laughs> comedy standard answer. And then the, the, the one that's probably you know we we do think about the most is we miss working with everyone we do all miss working together so there was a, a way in which we could do it I, I like you said I feel like we you know we left it where we left it um it didn't you know it doesn't it didn't feel like there were going to be any more um there'd be a lot to consider and you'd have to think about how to do it but my heart says I would love to do it again if I thought it wouldn't sort of piss on the grave of the yeah. <laughs> the memory of the Inbetweeners, really. That's what I, I would generally think. But we haven't got any plans, have we? I mean, that's just mm. me being no. sentimental. But it's that thing of like nostalgia. Like we do when we, we had dinner before Christmas with everyone actually Blake wasn't around, but it's um it's so nice and we get on so well and it was so much it was so much fun. It's just that thing of like you're in it. And again for those guys, a lot of them it was their first big job and it was our first sitcom that we'd produced rather than or you know written rather than produced or anything and it's you sort of are like oh yeah that was that was really good wasn't it like we got <laughs> slightly spoiled by how much fun that was and how well we all got on and then i was thinking about the film the other day because i was thinking about the second the first film and the second film but the second film particularly i was going through my phone i had a load of pictures of australia i was like we got to go to all these places <laughs> and hang out with our mates and just like have a laugh while we were shooting these incredible locations in australia so it was sort of yeah, and again, the other thing, I said the other day someone told me a story about how a bloke they grew up with in the countryside used to say that he didn't buy condoms, he just used bread wrappers, like plastic bread wrappers instead. And I just had a moment of like, oh, God, I'd love Jay <laughs> to be saying that. Oh, my God, could you imagine Jay? And it's, it's things like that that occasionally make you go, oh, I miss, you know, Jay saying something like that and Will's reaction to it. And But, yeah, no, I think... Yeah, you get, you, know, you get nostalgic about things and how much fun you had, and but we haven't got any plans. Would you ever do a sequel, so perhaps set at the same school, Mr. Gilbert re returns, but a new cast? Oh, no. So that sounds incredibly hard work. New characters. <laughs> it, would be, it would be tricky not to uh, repeat things. I don't know, maybe. I mean, I, don't know, I think we haven't, really, we haven't really thought about it. I think the problem was that 
those four were so good that they kind of, you know, ruined it for, any, <laughs> for anything like that. At like the end of Series 2, we're like, you know, because Skins changed their uh, cast of two seasons, and we, and we were always following Skins. And so we were kind of like, oh, well, maybe we should do that. We should get, you know, you got you guys, it's going to get difficult. We'll just change the whole <laughs> cast. But they were so brilliant and so funny. And they got on so well. And I think that really made a you know, part of it. It would be hard to, I think it would be hard to, to, to do something without those four involved. Yeah, I think the process of writing The Inbetweeners made me much more aware. And the fact that, we, especially after it sort of, you know, tipped and went big as a show, but it made me really aware of the fact that those friends that we were writing about in those times, um, they really are, you know, they're a part of your DNA almost, you know, they're at a time in your life when you're incredibly vulnerable and you're sort of, you know, you're, you're, you're growing up and you're in some senses you're expected to be an adult and you're going through all this range of experience, intense experiences together. Um, and you're not always, you know, friends because of your similarities or, um, you know, for, for other reasons other than you live near to each other a little bit. That kind of, you know, geography plays a big part in it. But anyway, it doesn't really matter because you may grow apart and often people do these friendship groups, but they stay with you. And I kind of, they stayed with me in the writing of that and they stayed with Ian. And then when I meet up with that group of friends, I always get that same feeling like these guys are, you know, they are, they are sort of family now. And weirdly, writing about that experience and putting that on paper, I've now created a whole new set of family <laughs> that we feel exactly the same way about so you know i, I you know I, actually we you know we've grown apart but we are all you know we'll do things in our own bubbles and get on with them and have our own careers but you know when we meet up we're it's always again you just sort of think well these guys are just part of us so I, the idea of writing other characters in the sort of rudge park universe would feel I mean, it's not wrong. It just feels to me like, God, I'd ra- I, what I really want to do is hang out with Neil, Jay, Will and Simon. I'd rather <laughs> find a way to put them guys together, even if it had to be them as uh, the middle-aged freaks they are now. <laughs> Your new show, The First Team, is coming at the end of this month. Can you explain to us what it's all about? Although I think the title gives it away reasonably well. It's about three young footballers at a top-flight English club, um, one of whom is has come from America and been signed and suspects he might have been signed by mistake or has been signed to sell shirts in the US by the US, the, the, the chairman of the club, who is played by Will Arnett. And you never see a ball kicked. Uh, it's all about their lives and their relationships. And it came about because, you know, we did a bit, we did a lot of research and we found out that actually professional footballers are under immense pressure, but also they only, they can only really train an hour, an hour, an hour and a half a day. And so they've got an enormous amount of yeah, free time yeah. during the week. And they play like twice a week, maybe even then they've still got five days. We have an enormous amount of time. So we were thinking, what would you do if you were young and single? And uh, how would you feel that? How would you feel that time? So it's kind of about these guys filling that time. Did you ever think when you wrote it, and I do know the answer here because I clearly no one anticipated this situation, but that when it airs, it will be the closest thing to watching football this country has seen in months? Well, it was always in the back of our minds, wasn't it? Yeah, we were, we were hoping that something like this might happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we, we were talking about, we were talking, to be fair, 
every time I see the government or Donald Trump talk about the pandemic and go, nobody knew in February, I was like, me and Damon were literally sitting there in early January in the edit looking at videos from Wuhan. So there's no way people can claim they didn't know in February. Because we, I mean, literally early January, me and Damon were going, this is pretty serious. I think to answer your question, though, if we had known, we would have put some actual football in it. <laughs> I like, would have made it. Also, I mean, I don't give away too much, but. You know, it's in terms of hostage to fortune, the first episode has a storyline that I thought was kind of universal in a way for young men, particularly, which is like the embarrassment of shopping for toilet paper. So that's in there. And that seems like it might as well be about taking a horse and cart to your job as working in the mill, frankly, being embarrassed about buying loo paper. But anyway. It's interesting because football, even though it's the nation's favourite game, or rather it was, now it now it is bongos bingo or online quizzes, <laughs> but football is a sport that strangely has been poorly served by comedy in the past. There's been a lot of shows, haven't there? I guess there's Dream Team mm. did it, and I guess Footballers Wives is a different sort of thing. But yeah, no, I think, I don't know really. Um, we were more interested in it being like a workplace comedy about men, really. Rather than and it, and it seemed like well you know what's a predominantly male environment uh, these days and you know football changing rooms are pretty much yeah pretty much male completely male um, you know and we, and we looked at it as a kind of workplace comedy really yeah we we took the temperature you know of the you know the cultural zeitgeist and we just thought to ourselves what the world really wants is a comedy about men and male <laughs> toxic masculinity in a dressing room environment. But actually the challenge of doing that was, apart from joking about it, the challenge of doing that we thought was, you know, it, in the in-betweeners, it kind of it worked. It wasn't so much toxic masculinity, but really it was about what it is in, to be in male company, uh, to, you know, that you exist in a world where the front line is very much bravado and arrogance um, with a, a lack of experience of anything really, and um, also insecurity, huge insecurity about about yourself. So for our in between us boys, there's this huge insecurity about the you know the opposite sex, about you know growing up, about hard kids, about you know. So it's we we mind that, and I thought I think we thought about football, and we thought well, there's a lot of those areas that you get in a dressing room, really, especially with young footballers who are coming into a into a you know into a pre-established team where you've got huge characters and dressing rooms are really fragile places they're not actually you know when it goes well i imagine it's brilliant but obviously that doesn't happen all the time very rarely in fact and most of the time you've got lots of competing egos um people at different stages of their careers who aren't really that into the idea of a young player coming in and doing mm. well for the team if it means it might you know, it makes them feel irrelevant or it might be in their position. So they see it as a sort of, you know, clock that's ticking down on their own careers. And we wanted to explore, you know, those those kind of sort of clashes, really. And, and you know, that's where the comedy lies in a lot of it, as well as, you know, how these how these guys navigate their lives outside of training, which is pretty much, the you know, 80% of their lives, to be honest. Because, as I say, when we went to see training sessions happening at, um, at football clubs, uh, we were both struck by the fact that they don't do anything really. They just get them in to feed them, uh, make sure they haven't got any injuries, you know, keep them, yeah. keep them there for a bit. So they're probably not getting up to no good elsewhere and then releasing them again. And I think that is, you know, so it's just very sort of strange existence for somebody in their early twenties or late teens to have to have to go through that. Yeah. When you think about 
footballers, 20, 20 year olds suddenly on 50, 100 grand a week. And as you say, they get their morning training out of the way. And then what, what do they do? That's it. That's, that's what the sitcom's about. What do they do? What do you, it's, a, it's a gilded cage thing, isn't it? It's like, it's what do you do when you can do anything except you can't really do anything, yeah. you know, because you, of social media and stuff. And again, interestingly, video games have become really important to them, not just because it kills a lot of time, but because, um, you know, often people come through academies together and then they get sent to different clubs or some of them retire or anything can happen. But you definitely get spread, split up. It's not like you and your mates all go on the same path from, from an early age. And so, you know, video games and you can play and talk to people at the same time and catch up with your friends that way. So it's kind of, that's been helpful for them, I think, the ones we spoke to. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough, it's a funny, you know, yeah, I think so Gilded Cage is the best way to look at it. Like it's an interesting thing of what does that mean to, to have kind of all the, opportunity and money to do whatever you want but actually you can't really do anything it's interesting that you say that you've spoken to some real life footballers thinking back to the in-betweeners so much of it is on record as being from your real life childhoods are there real life stories in this as well yeah it's quite a lot actually yeah it's quite a lot that we got from various people i mean we spoke to all sorts of people we spoke to ex-pros current pros chairman managers uh, club doctors, PR people, press people, you know, kit men, you know, this, it's, we spoke to a whole sort of range of people. There's a load of different stories coming from all different, different angles, I think. So yeah, there's quite a lot of things that we're influenced by, but again, the, the thing, the key to, it, I think was to try and think about, you know, young masculinity, I guess, and, and people, what that meant in terms of conversations with each other and then building stuff out from there. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably quite realistic. <laughs> it's interesting, know. isn't it? Because uh, I think when we're doing the in-betweeners, we knew it was realistic. You know, we're 100% <laughs> sure of that because some yeah. of it is verbatim. You know, so some of that just happened. <laughs> and with this, we didn't have that luxury. So we, you know, we did quite an intensive period of research, spent a lot of time trying to get as close as we could to football clubs and uh, footballers and people in that associated bubble. Um, so, yeah, we've been, you know, I think we've heard anecdotally from footballers who read bits of the script because obviously we've told them what we're doing or uh, one of the one of the actors has got a very good friend and uh, he's a footballer and um, they'd said, oh, that sounds, you know, bang on. That does sound exactly like our lives. So it's, yeah, I think from what we've recorded and experienced, we've really tried to focus on that and try and make it feel really real. So it may be a show that's just very niche and just for people who <laughs> top flight footballers to enjoy. And the cast for the first team is amazing. Both of you guys seem to get that alchemy so right, particularly on ensemble pieces. How do you get that, that chemistry right with actors? I think we were very lucky with the in-betweeners because they got on very well from the beginning. But I think part of it is encouraging them to like and enjoy each other. And so when we did the rehearsals for the, the first team, the three lead guys, we sort of said to them on day one, we said, look, you, primarily in terms of your performances, we want you to make each other laugh and then us. And then if we've got that done, then hopefully we'll be somewhere towards making everyone else laugh. But I think it's like, not like, you know, being silly and making them laugh. But I think, we, you know, making people feel that they can, uh, you, you know, they can enjoy each other's performances. And I, want, I wanted them to, to, to get a sense of trying to make each other 
enjoy what they're doing when they're in the moment acting, I think is really important. Um, apart from that, it's really down to the actors. I think you see, we, do, we do a pretty exhaustive casting set, uh, you know, search, and that means that you get to see people quite a few times in auditions, and I think you get a sense of what they're like and if they'll, you know, fit in with other people and that sort of thing. We've always focused on the funny as well. It's always been really important to us. You know, I think yeah. sometimes um, it's difficult for other people to sort of, under, you know, to see, you know, in terms of casting choices when we're at that, that part of the process, why, why we're so insistent, you know, they have to be able, you know, have to, you have to feel like they know where the jokes are and that they are and really that they're funny people and they can, you know, they, that's the best way to know that. It's very hard to know your way around a, a joke and a delivery if you're not particularly funny yourself. So we concentrated on finding funny first uh, among our actors and, um, and then, so they've actually been in positions where they, you know, they, they do love hanging out together. It's like Ian said, I mean, we try to make that environment as fun as possible. I mean, it has, you know, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because eventually they have so much fun hanging yeah. out together that it drives you mad because you don't get anything done. <laughs> yeah, they get shouted out on set. Like, can you just concentrate for two minutes? <laughs> you, you, you've worked on a number of projects together in different capacities, but this is your first thing that you've written together since The Inbetweeners 2. What was it about this project that brought you back writing together? Well, we were planning on writing this we were talking about this the other day, probably started thinking about this at the end of shooting the second season of The Inbetweeners. So um, it's been in the pipeline a long time. And really, I mean, since we directed the second movie um, and, you know, that was the last thing we wrote together, we started a new production company. We uh, were both exec producing on shows have filled that company so sam bain made a mini series for us for bbc2 called ill behavior um we mm. were working on a the last series of drifters which we were exec producing and, and writing on and um that's jessica naffet's show which for e4 um and then i was putting together white gold at the time and ian was putting together um, um ian's been working on a couple of film projects in in the interim weren't you and uh you put together the festival and that went out yeah we wrote, we wrote yeah. the film together we, since I mean, then as well. To be honest, we spent, frankly, too much time together. We, you know, <laughs> we, we spent a lot of time. I can't believe, I don't know why it's, I don't know why it's taking this long. It, it isn't like we've had a load of projects <laughs> and we've been like, this is, you know, we've discarded them and then we finally found this one. I think we've just, this, one, this one's always been around and then we just haven't really got yeah, around yeah. to it because we've been busy other things. I think we were thinking about the in-between us probably for, you know, the five or six years before it actually got down to oh yeah we've well, we've got we should write this really yeah. you know it's just i think it takes a while to percolate you know through and and really think yeah that's the one that you're going to sink your teeth into so yeah it's just i mean it doesn't feel like we haven't been doing things together i guess to us because we're constantly working together but yeah. um yeah to sound a bit like a BAFTA Q&A now, um, you're, both, you're both in different time zones, but Ian, you're in LA, Damon, you're in England. Yeah. How does the writing process work between the two of you? We're analogue, mate. I, I, flew to, I, I flew to London. Yeah. We basically have to sit in a room. We sit in a room together or we won't get it done. No, we, we have done a bit apart, but gen, gen, generally it works the old school way that we sit in a room i went to nashville for a few weeks and we sat yeah. we sat in a room together and just yeah you know pinged ideas around ian was over here for a lot of the time sitting in small rooms with post-it notes pinned to the wall yeah so basically i can tell you i mean i can, I can tell you exactly how we did, which is like we so when i did when we made the festival the festival came out 2018 summer 2018 
those two weeks, me and Damon sat in a room with cover, literally covered in post-it notes. You couldn't even see out the door uh, in this weird office on Oxford Street. And people would come in and go, yeah, they're thinking about renting the office. They just would walk <laughs> in and just see post-it notes everywhere. And then I was like, is everyone okay now? <laughs> we did like three weeks there. Then, then the next month, we, then we sort of typed some of those up. And then, we, then Damon came out to Nashville for a couple of weeks. And we spent two weeks in Nashville. And then we started typing things up. Then I was meant to come back so we could do two more weeks together in the same room in London, but I broke my foot. <laughs> so it got delayed. And then, but then basically from, I guess, March last year till we finished shooting in October, we were just in the same rooms together. What is next for both of you after this? Hard to say, isn't it? This is, uh, um, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. We'd love to do more of the first team, wouldn't we? I've got a lot of projects lined up. <laughs> I had a question mark on the end of mine. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do more of this, really. Yeah, I've got um, yeah, yeah, more of this, please. I've got to do... I've written a film with Taika Waititi that's meant to be coming out. It's quite exciting. About football. Oh, Ian, I watched Jojo Rabbit last night. You've not seen it before? I haven't seen it before. And <laughs> I'm almost going to start crying now, thinking about it. I can't believe some of the negative reviews because I, I was like, I know, of course, yeah, of course. I just don't understand yeah, it. I was like, yeah. it's so brilliant and moving. No. It just seems it's odd so that you might not be moved by that movie. I just, did you remember that script? That script was so it was the best script oh I've ever God. read in my entire life. And the fact that he can, you know, so many people make good scripts and don't make good films. So he wrote that script and he, then yeah. he made that film. That film is, is so brilliant. I mean, it's just a staggering work of art, isn't it? It's so funny. Yeah. And yeah. so touching and moving. Yeah. I just, yeah, God. Yeah. To be honest, I hate Tyker because it made me just think, well, I'm not going to bother doing any more things because <laughs> they can't be as good as that, can they? So thanks, Tyker. That, that was like when I was writing a script with him, I was literally like, <laughs> I mean, I was like, mate, I was like, I've read the scripts you've written on your own. <laughs> Every film you've done before this has been on your own. I was like, if this film isn't as good as Jojo Rabbit, which it can't be. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to get the hammering on. It's going to be like, oh, well, he wrote this for Ian Boris. There's that brilliant terrible. moment where Captain K is in his peacock outfit and standing on the thing. I was just like, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is too good. God damn you. No, he takes the jacket off at the end. And the kid performances as well. Like He gets performances out of those kids. Are just, uh... They're arguably ropey, the performances, but there's something about the alchemy of... I think the main kid's good. Like the yeah. little... Uh, his friend, the little... I want to say fat fella. Yeah, Tubby kid. Yeah, he's just a little boy. He's a kid. I'm not going to go him. I'm not, we're not being, we're not body yeah. shaming. But he's friend. He, he, uh, yeah. You know, I think they're so cute. Those performances are so cute, but like they wouldn't necessarily stand up in 1917 or, you know, do you know what I mean? I, I kind of like, there's something, yeah. I just don't understand how he does it. That's what I thought as I watched it. No, and again, his performance, I mean, his Hitler's, yeah, it's just, a, it's a brilliant. Okay, so he's just, a, he's, the truth is, he is total genius. And Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson's amazing in it as well, isn't she? It's just it's so good. Yeah, that's her best film. I think, honestly, I was trying to think, I don't think she's been better in a film. Well, look, you and I know Peter Bradshaw, and we love him. He's a funny man, isn't he? Yeah, I love him. But he, he wrote in his review, one-star review, and he was like, he said this is her most undirected performance. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't see it. I mean, that's the beauty of art, right? You can all have different opinions. But I was baffled. I was, I mean... No, it's, it's incredible that anyone could think... It was quite funny. When I went to the premiere for the, the london film festival premiere for the jojo i was sitting next to edgar right i'd seen it three times i think at that point 
And I, and I, I know Edgar, and I like him very much. And I said to him, I, this, is, I said, this is really, really bad, Edgar, because I'm going to cry. <laughs> I've seen it three times. I'll try not to cry, though, but I think I'll probably cry quite late. He was like, okay. And then the film finished, and I saw him afterwards, and he said, oh, my God, it was like stereo <laughs> crying. He said, my girlfriend on one side cry, and you crying at the same point. And afterwards, I said to my wife, I was like, I don't know, I, was, I thought I kept it really quiet. She was like, oh, my God. She said, oh. he just sniveling through it all. Ian, uh, Ian, when when Ian was first living in LA and he came back, we'd write the in between. I think we're doing the final series of the in between. So he came back and he said, "I've seen Up. This movie is brilliant." And I was kind of like, "You've got to see Up. You've got to see Up." Oh, yeah. It's a kids' film. I don't want to see Up. He's like, "No, oh, it's great." And then one afternoon, I think I can't remember. It's very hot. It was a heat wave in London. Really moving. It wasn't even an afternoon. It was a morning. And, we, and, yeah. he, and I said, "Okay, we'll go to the cinema because it's the coolest place." We, we were in a non-air conditioned office in London, so we went <laughs> down the road to um, a cinema and they had it on. And there was it was. Two, two people in cinema, me and Ian. And Ian said at the beginning, you better sit a little bit apart because you're going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Of course I'm not going to cry. Even well, I'm going to cry. And then you said to me, he said to me oh, what's so sad? Are you going to cry when the little pixels get a bit moved a bit differently? Is that what's going to make you cry? Yeah, no, that's, a, yeah, that's, I was, I was uh, plagiarizing a very good friend's joke, which very Joey says to Chandler when Chandler says he cried when Bambi died. And he went, Oh, what was so sad when they stopped drawing the little deer? <laughs> but um, we're in there. So it starts, and obviously it's incredibly moving. And then uh, one other guy, like another guy comes in randomly. So there's just three men sitting in the dark, and all you can hear is these different pitches of stealing. <laughs> I, I don't think I've cried. Uh, the only time I cried like that at the, uh, a movie was uh, Finding Neverland, the Johnny Depp one. And I cried so much at the end of that oh. that my wife said, to, she said to me, like, I was just crying through the credits and she's like, oh, you enjoyed that, it was great, it was lovely. And then after about seven or eight minutes, she just went, are you, are you all right? And I was just, I still cried. I was like, I don't think so. So, yeah, I don't know why this has descended into uh, anecdotes about Ian and me crying. In the <laughs> I, cried, but I was going to say, I've got a good other one. She's like... My friend made um, film stars don't die in Liverpool, mm. and, he, and I didn't know what it's about at all. And he said, "Oh, do you want to come and see a screening of it?" I was like, "Yeah, great." So I went to the screening, and it was like the two people that ran <laughs> a film studio and me in the whole. Screen. And the screening room only had about sixteen <laughs> seats, right? And these are just like two hardened execs from a studio. And, it, and I was just like, "I've never." I mean, I've never cried as much as I cried at that film. That film absolutely destroyed me. And the lights come up at the end, they're like, okay, he knows. (laughs) I mean, Ian, you are setting some really high standards with Tyker's film now. With Tyker's film? Yeah, no chance. No chance. No, I mean, again, it's up to him. I I wrote the script with him and I was on set for a little bit to help because that has got some football in it. And it's based on a phenomenally good documentary called Next Goal Wins. Oh, yes, yeah. So it's that. It's basically yeah, it's basically adaptation. Of yeah. That. I'm writing down the name of the documentary because every time I write it down <laughs> wrong, I've written this down wrong already. I said when Saturday comes. It's so good. You watch it tonight. It's so good. Okay. It was one of those things where it came up years and years ago. Me and Tyke have been mates for years, and it was like we always tried to come up with something we could do together. And because it's set in Polynesia, in sort of South Sea Island, South Pacific, they the, the company that had the rights asked him to direct it, and he was like, I don't know. He's a huge rugby fan. He knows nothing about football. So he was like, do you want to write it with me? Because you know about football. I said, all right. So he wrote it. And then, you know, five years ago. And then suddenly in the summer, when I'm doing this other football project, the first team, suddenly he's like, oh, I, need a, I need a rewrite by Tuesday. I'm like, what's happening? And he's like, I need another rewrite. I'm like, I can't, this is going to kill me. You're going to kill me. But um, 
but yeah, we'll see. I don't think it's his film, so who knows how it'll turn out. I mean, no pressure. I mean, the man has just won an Oscar for best writing for Jojo Rabbit. Maybe you should take up as your inspiration, have somebody die in the first 10 minutes, and then just make the main character really, really sad yeah. for the entire film. What has got, what's it got in it? What does happen? What is the sad bit? There are, I've got some sad bits in it, but I can't remember. But, I met, but it was interesting because we were shooting in Hawaii and uh, Michael Fassbender's playing the lead. And that was pretty, that was pretty cool, to be fair. That was like one of those moments you go, oh, okay. <laughs> I honestly it's can't good. wait for next goal wins. It sounds so good. I think that's probably it for today. But Ian, Damon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, it's good. Pleasure. Very nice to see. It just didn't really feel like a promotional thing. Felt, you know, felt like my Sunday evening Zoom drink with mates. <laughs> yeah. I loved that episode so much. I have to start by saying a huge thank you to Ian and Damon. All my guests go above and beyond supporting a brand new podcast, but these guys really did go the extra mile. Because of the time difference, we recorded it in the evening in the UK, which was the morning in Los Angeles, and both of them really did the legwork in organising this podcast. I just turned up. The first team premieres on the 28th of May on BBC Two. I cannot wait for you to see it. It is incredible. It is amazing. That's it for episode six of the Quarantine Break podcast. We reached 31 in the Apple podcast charts last week. 31 for TV and film podcasts. It means the world that so many people are listening and enjoying this podcast every single week. Please continue to spread the word. And if you're new to the podcast, please subscribe, rate and review on wherever you normally get your pods. I'll be back very, very soon. But in the meantime, and no matter what the government might say, please stay indoors. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 